Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Uh, also, our, uh, our holy Rebbitsons that are here uh, studying with us as well today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We can't say only Rabotai, that's only men. men. So we have ladies coming in the morning now as well. Consistently, Hazaku Baruch, happy to have you today as always. The learning for this week is dedicated by the Daniel S. Loeb Torah Center, as well dedicated in loving memory of Elliot Kanbar, Alava Shalom Lunishmat, Eliezer Ben Chana, sponsored by Silvana and Bill Mander, uh, dedicated as a complete refuah shenema for Rabbani Chana Farchi Chana Batsimafega and uh, Rabbi Ila Abadi Eliyahu Shemun Mazal Fortuneh, in memory of Sinai Tour and Ibrahim Choshbach, Alehem Shalom, sponsored by the son Maurice Chosh, and the week of Kobu, sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your unwavering commitment to doing good for the state of Israel and for others around you during these challenging times today and every day. Let's begin. We have over here an interesting pasuk. The pasuk says as follows. It was in those days. Moshe Rabbeinu is stuck in the basket. He's saved by, Paro, by Paro's daughter Batya, brought to the palace, and now he's growing up in the palace of Paro in the jaws of the lion that's trying to kill every single Jewish male uh, baby, trying to subjugate the Jewish people, trying to wipe them out of existence. And it was in those days where Yigdal Moshe and Moshe grew up, and he went out to his brothers, and he saw in their suffering. And he saw an Egyptian man hitting a Hebrew man, a Jewish person, that was from amongst his brothers. He looks this way, he looks that way, he sees the guy's going to kill him. There's no one to save him. There's no reason uh, not to get involved to do something, to stand down while his brother is being murdered. Uh, Moshe intervenes, and he hits and he hides him, he hides the body of this killer, this Egyptian killer in the sand. The next day he goes out, two people are speaking about him, the word has gotten out that Yosef was the one that did this, and he knows that he's a, a dead man in the eyes of Paro, Paro actually rules that he should be killed. Moshe is saved. He runs away to Midian. And, uh, and, uh, and there we read about the interesting story. He gets to the well, and the man, Yitro, has seven daughters. He's a priest for idol worship in the city. He decides to separate himself from that, recognizing that it's not the truth. And the minute that their, their uh, leader uh, decides that he's no longer going to be the, the high priest of the idol worship that the people, the local people appreciate the flavor of. Flavor of. They ban the guy, they, they uh, cancel him, and, and no one wants to have anything to do with him. So his daughters are persona non grata at, uh, in this town. Moshe comes along, and what does he see? He sees that the daughters of, uh, of Yitro are being chased away from the well. Vayakom Moshe, Moshe gets up, and he saves them, and he gives them to drink. Now, it's interesting, by the way. What happens uh, when they come back, the daughters of Yitro? They say there was this man there, Ish Mitzri Yitzilanu, an Egyptian man saved us. He gave us to drink. And he also, watered. he also gave for the uh, sheep to drink. It's deliciously ironic that yet again, another of the uh, Roim 
meets his shiduch by the well. They didn't have a shidduch crisis back then. We have a shidduch crisis today. I think that the reason and the source of why we have a shidduch crisis in our day and age, and they didn't have back then, was the distinct lack of wells. If we would just have wells everywhere, we wouldn't have these problems. I don't know, I keep telling people, no one takes me seriously. Um, but I do feel that if we had a well, it would solve at least some problems. Okay, so Moshe, what does he do? He actually does the magic recipe. He gives the people to drink, and also the sheep. Who else did exactly that? He's like, it worked well for Rivka. Maybe that's how I'm going to find my Nasib. That's what he does. Okay, my friends, I want to point out something that I think is really interesting that hides in plain sight, and I think is really the story of Moshe, and in many ways is the story of the Jewish people, both Bayamim Ahim, Azeman Azeh. Moshe is a prince of Egypt. Moshe is a person who potentially could, could take over the whole country. Yosef was the number two man. Moshe, as the adopted son of Pharaoh, could have become the number one man. He grows up literally on the lap of Pharaoh. And yet, the Pasuk tells us that when he grows up, he goes out to his brothers and he sees Ish Mitzri killing an Ish Ivri Me'echav, a Hebrew man Me'echav from his brothers. That means that from that moment, what happened in Moshe's life was a identity crisis, which was a identity crisis resolved. He was an Ish Mitzri, he was an Ish Ivri, he goes out to his brothers, he looks at the Egyptian man, who's one of his people, one of his subjects, just like his stepdad, and his stepmom, and his stepbrothers and sisters. But he looks at the Egyptian man, who's beating the Jew, and he looks at the Jew, who's getting beaten, and who does Moshe identify with? Who are my people, and who are the other? My people are the Ishivri, the man that's getting beaten. Moshe throws in his lot with the oppressed and not with the oppressor. Fascinating. The Torah actually terms this moment of identity res uh, resolution. How does it term it? Vayigdal Moshe. An element of maturity is having your identity be resolved not by, not by what you want it to be, not how you want to identify, but rather what you actually are, how you were born. Not where the story of life took you, but where you actually, what your reality is. Moshe Rabenu, what is he? He is a Jew. You can't run away from that. And even though as a child, when you're immature, you might see things in a different way, but adulthood, maturity requires a person to use uh, their reality to define their identity. Now, I'm sharing this with you because I feel that this is something which is incredibly important. He comes down to the peep to Midian, and how did the, the women in Midian, the daughters of Yitro, how do they define him to their father? Ish Mitzri Hitzilanu. 
So this man, who has spent all this time divesting himself of his Egyptian identification, feeling, saying, stating, acting on behalf of his brother, who's a Jew. He's now seen by a Midianite woman, and what does she, what does she call him to her father? The Midrash Rabbah says that while Yosef uh, merits to be buried in Israel, Yosef, Moshe does not. And one of the reasons the Midrash brings is because when it came to uh, Yosef, what did Potiphera say? Did you bring this Ish Ivri? When the guy's talking about Yosef in the prison, how does he talk about him? Ivri, 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 everyone's identifying him as an Ivri. And therefore he, was, he merited to be buried in the land he was so proud to represent. Moshe, that they said about him, Ish Mitzri, did not merit to enter into the land. He was not mer- merit, did not merit to be buried in the land of Ivri, of Eretz Israel, because people mistook him for an Ish Mitzri. Now, my friends, I, I, I feel like sometimes when you see a Midrash like this, you don't take the time to recognize that these two things are categorically immensely different. Right? Let me explain what I mean. When, when Potifera is telling her husband about this Ish Ivri, what is she trying to do? She's trying to make her husband feel that this guy is a troublemaker. Where'd you bring him from? This immigrant. Where he, did you bring him here to, to, to play with me? It, it serves her purpose to call him an Ish Ivri. Do you understand? Here, it doesn't benefit them to be called Ish Mitzri. They're calling him Ish Mitzri because that's who they think he is. Not only that, let me continue. Let's say you saw a rapper. And the rapper was in Germany, doing a sold-out show in Germany. This guy is wearing a Lakers jersey, bling, drip, ice, I don't know what you want to call it, right? He's got gold hanging off everything. His teeth are gold, the thing, right? African-American guy, and he's rapping, and everybody loves it, and his baseball cap is on backwards. Do you think the people in the crowd are going to say, wow, look at this African man? Or are, going to say, are they going to say, ah, oh, I love Americans and their rap? Do you think they're going to identify him as being African? No. Why? Because the rap culture, the Lakers jersey, that, all that gold, that's, that's an American look right now. How long ago did African Americans come to America? They came as slaves hundreds of years ago. Now, that identity of that person is an American rapper. They're going to look at that and say that's American, not that's African. At this point, how long have the Jewish people been in Egypt? Nearly 180 years. Subtract some years because Moshe had not already been back. Okay? 140 years, 50 years. It's a long time. You could look at a Jewish person and there are no Jews anywhere else. How would you call a Jew who lived for 140 years in Egypt? What would you call him? Egyptian. 
So it's important to look at this midrash and not think, okay, Moshe was wearing a very small ditch towel, you know, covering only his waist. The rest of him was no clothes on. He was, had an Egyptian beard. He was wearing a hat with a snake on it, right? That's not what Ishmitzri has to mean over here. It could very well be that Moshe was Moshe. And yet, they're calling him Ishmitzri. However, at the end of the day, they called him Ishmitzri. At the end of the day, the Midrash is telling you that they did not say Ish Ivri. Again, let's just take a beat. Why is Moshe here? Because he ran away to save his life. He's hiding who he is, literally and figuratively. But my friends, that does not excuse us and that does not take away from the lesson itself. The Gemara tells us many times, The Pasuk does not leave its simple understanding. So even though we have a Midrash here, even though we're understanding this, at the same time we find that one Pasuk, in Pasuk Yud Aleph, we find Moshe saying, who are my brothers? Who is my people? Moshe says that about Am Yisrael. And over here, we find that people looking at him identify him as Ishmitri. That's inescapable. What the Pasuk says is inescapable. My friends, what I want to talk about then is this challenge. A challenge that a person can feel to figure out who he or she is in a country like America. There are countries that we have been in where they gave us no option. I'll give you an example. I don't know if you know this, but in German documents, when you had a German document, every Jew, you know what it said on the, the name of every Jew? Was Isaac. Did you know that? They gave them a first name, Isaac. Like in other words, he's, this is a Jew guy. All the women, I believe, was Sarah. It doesn't mean that they didn't have any other names. It means that in their, pas in their passport, on the arm where they gave you a yellow star, what did they tell you? You're not German. You're nothing. You're only Jewish. And a Jew is worse than a dog. There are countries that we were told that in our history. In Arab countries, where we were told, we were told that we were the, I mean, the second class citizens of the, the riffraff, the sub-category of human beings. That's who we were. But you come to a country like America, and America is the great melting pot. And America has a big, it's a, it's a, it has a challenge. On the one hand, it wants you to be yourself and have your cultural identity. But it wants to whitewash that cultural identity so much that you absolutely, first and foremost, apple pie, July 4th, are American before anything else. So a country that was built on freedom of religion and freedom of identity, so to speak, to figure out who, you know, what your religion says, how you want to act, how you want to behave, is at the same time asking you to give that up for the greater. My friends, I believe that what we're looking at when we look at Moshe Rabbeinu is the first person to be able to break ranks with what is going on around him, to break ranks with what everyone is telling him, you're an Egyptian, you're a prince, this is your future, and figure out for himself, what, what am I really? Who am I really? Where am I really going? What was I born to do, born to be? The only person that could have ever taken the Jewish people out of Egypt was a person who was capable of doing this.
The Chachamim tell us that we needed Moshe. We needed Moshe to take us out. You know why? Because Moshe was, uh, had a deen of a melech. This idea is brought up in many cases. That Moshe had the halakha of a king. Uh, I'll give you an example. Moshe Rabbeinu says that I did not take chamor echad mehem. I did not take one uh, donkey. We did not take one donkey from them. And the Khatam Sofer explains that what's the reason why he said that? Why would Moshe have taken donkeys? You know, is that a thing that you need to say? Like, you know, I solemnly swear, you know, you know, I did not take any donkeys from the people. Why, why, why would we have thought that you were a donkey snatcher? Right? Is that something that leaders often are? Says the Hatam Sofer, because a king has a rule, a law, that when the people go to war, the spoils of war are split with the king. Right? Therefore, by the way, um, Paro, when he tells the Egyptians, follow me into battle, what does he say? He tells them, guys, if we go to war, I'm not going to keep it all. I'm going to split the booty between all of you guys. Moshe had the law of a king. And why did Moshe have the law of a king? We said and we mentioned an idea a couple days ago that when Yehuda was sent down to open up a yeshiva, you needed Yehuda to open the yeshiva. Why? You have Yosef there already. And I mentioned the idea from the Munkachi Rebbe, he explains that to open up a yeshiva in, in Misraim, Yosef was not enough. Because Yosef was second to the king. And who do you need to open up a yeshiva in Egypt? Yehuda, who is actually a melech. Who is going to stand up the Jews in Egypt? Who is going to take them out? Only one person. Only Moshe Rabbeinu. Because Moshe was a melech. Moshe needed to be raised as a melech, not as an evid. So he had to be taken from his home. He needed to be put in a basket. Now again, to me and to you, we read the story of Moshe Rabbeinu and we see it exactly backwards. Oy, Moshe Rabbeinu, Hazit, they're going to discover him. The mother puts him in a basket to save his life. Goes down the river. Oh, Baruch Hashem. Somebody saved it. Oh, who saved it? Oh, it was the daughter of Paro. Where'd she take him? Took him home. Oh, she happens to live in the palace. We have the whole story exactly backwards. It's not that Moshe was in danger. The mother tried to save him. Hashem did a miracle. Saved Moshe from the water. Who saves him? Happens to be Batya. Batya happens to take him home. Happens to, happens to. No. The whole svara, the whole reason why Moshe was put in a basket, Moshe was sent down the river, was because it was like FedEx. She was shipping the package exactly to where it needed to go. Where was she sending Moshe? From her home to Paro's lap. To be raised to be a king. And the nature of a king is that he takes orders from nobody. The nature of a king is that he sets his own agenda. The nature of a king is, as the halakha tells us, melech poretz lo geder. If I'm a king and I want to walk from 63rd to 62nd, and I do not want to walk to 5th Avenue or to Madison Avenue to get there, what do I do? I turn on my bulldozer, I drive it right through your backyard, smash down your fence, smash down the fence of the other guy, and get to the other side. Melech poretz lo geder. Knocks down walls. There's only one person who could take the Jewish people out of Egypt, who could break the mentality, who could tell them, I know that what it looks like around you is that you were slaves, but understand, that is not what you were born to be, that is not your reality, 
That is the circumstances of your life. Come with me. Let's knock down some walls. So Moshe's first test of being a king, his first act as king, is what? Is to identify himself as a king. Vayigdal Moshe, Moshe grows up, and what is the moment where he puts a crown on his head? He goes out to his brothers, and the test is now revealed. They pull off the, uh, the rug, the, the, the dust cloth. Exhibit A. Egyptian man beating to death a Jewish man. What are you choosing, Moshe? You know, you get some popcorn, you watch. You're an Egyptian king, but you're not, you're not yourself a king. You're a, you're a prince. The circumstances of your life, that's not who you are. That was given to you. That was handed to you. That was someone else's story put on top of you. Who are you, Moshe Rabbeinu? I think there's something so interesting that the Midrash tells us that God, that, that Paro rules that Moshe, for this action, what needs to happen? He needs to die. They come with a sword to try and kill Moshe. And when the person strikes Moshe with the sword on his neck, what happens? The neck can't pierce the sword. It bounces off his neck. His neck becomes hard, like marble, like stone. In the chaos that ensues, the, it bounces back. The, execute, the executioner winds up injuring himself with the sword. Moshe runs away. That story is not only a failed, a, boxed, a botched execution. It says that what it takes to be a king is to stick your neck out for somebody. What it takes to be a king is to take risks. It's to understand that even though this might cost me my kingship, if I can't act on what I know is right, if I can't do the right thing, and, and I'm a king because everything is going my way and I'm the prince of Egypt, I'm the king of Egypt, but I didn't do that and I was never a king in the first place. That's the nature of Moshe. My friends, I want to ask you this question. A lot of times, your life will make you feel like you're someone. You're a person who's, uh, you know, grew up this way. Is this amount religious? Is this amount, you know, whatever. This is the type of person you're looking for. This is the kind of emunah that you're supposed to have. A person is told in their life, that this is how they're supposed to feel about issues. And if they don't feel that way about issues, then they may as well. What we witnessed yesterday, the fall of the second of the three pillars of, uh, of universities, where people who are supposed to be the greatest intellectuals can't answer what should be the simplest question asked to a human being. Is it bullying and harassment to call for the murder of Jewish people? That should be a very easy question. But what we witnessed is three slaves, not three kings. Three people who were so obsessed by what the public opinion would say if they said that that's a problem, so desperate for the acceptance of the people around them. I read something only yesterday that made a big impression on me. Narcissists and people-pleasers, in truth, are actually exactly the same. Now you think, a 
narcissist, everything is about me. And a people pleaser is always about pleasing everybody else. How could those two things be the same thing? But in truth, why is a people pleaser a people pleaser? Because they can't bear that anyone should not think that they're the best. So a people pleaser is in truth a closet narcissist. Fascinating. That's what we're seeing in our world today. People who yesterday couldn't care less about Palestinians, tomorrow won't care less about Palestinians. People who don't know about current genocides that are actually happening around the world, didn't march ever for that, are running everywhere. Where does that come from? When it's in vogue to feel like something, everyone wants to feel like Ish Palestinai. I'm a Palestinian man. By any means necessary. It's unbelievable. This is an unbelievable thing. So in other words, if you were getting in the way, you ma'am, who was holding this sign, you, if you were getting in the way of the Palestinian cause, you believe that you should be brutally raped, you should be burned alive, they should cut your baby out of your stomach and then stick it in an oven. That's what you believe. That's what you mean when you say, by any means necessary? The power of wanting people to like me, people to fit the, the way I see myself or I want to see myself is so strong. Sometimes we can't be a king and take ownership and decide what's right and what's wrong. That is the story of Mitzrayim. And if the Jewish people was going to be taken out to receive the Torah, there was only one person who was going to be capable of that job. Someone who from birth was selected, taken from his mother, stuck in a basket, sent directly, do not pass go, do not collect $200 to the lap of Paro, to be raised the king. To then reject that king, because that's what a king does. To then say, Ishmitri. I always thought to myself, you know why they call him Ishmitri when he gets to Midian? Because that's Moshe's power. Everybody says, I don't know who this guy is, but he's not one of us. Their point in Ishmitri is not saying he's Egyptian. What they're saying is, he ain't Midianite. There's something different about him. What were they saying? Were the Egyptians famous for saving women at wells? They didn't know who he was. But what they did know was, he's not from, he's not from around here. You ain't from these parts. That is our job. Not to fit in, but to stand out. Not to let someone else tell us what we should do, but to do what we know is right. If only the Israeli government could understand that, especially in critical moments like this. It's very good to have friends. You know what's better? To be alive. It's very good to have friends. It's more important to be alive. There was a point in time where we remembered that because of the, the horrors of what we'd gone through. But as time goes on, I fear and I worry that we'll forget that. My friends, it does not need to be as dramatic as Moshe in order for this to be a relevant point. The idea that everybody does something doesn't register with the king. The idea that people are going to like me doesn't register with the king. The idea of settling for less than I want, I expect, I demand, doesn't register for a king. 
plan B doesn't register for a king. The king doesn't say, look, well, we'll try the appeals court. And if that doesn't work, we can always... That Malchut of Moshe was what allowed him to take people that had begun to believe that they were slaves and to teach them to believe that they were not. My friends, don't let the Yetzirah tell you who you are. I'll tell you a secret. When you were born, you know what you didn't have? A Yetzirah. That means that before he got to you, you were born away. And then he spent the rest of your life trying to convince you that you were something else. Don't buy it. You're a melech. You struggle with kosher? Repeat after me. I can. Repeat. I can. Yalla. Not the brand, I-C-A-H-N. I can. If you're a melech, you can. You're struggling with praying, with focusing in your prayer. You're thinking about all different things. I can. I'm anxious. I can't. I'm very worried, Rabbi. Baba Mises. You can. If you're a king, you can. That's the koach of what we're learning from Moshe. He doesn't let anyone tell him what he is. And wherever he goes, the people might not know who he is, but they know he ain't one of them. May Hashem bless us to be standouts and our fit-ins in every moment of our life. Baruch <laughs> Hanayla Olam.